We're in a series entitled A Bigger Table, and that was a very powerful song, a song that's entitled Come to the Table. And you know what? Some of the words of that song says that we all started on the outside, and this is where and we were on the outside, but we were looking in. And this is where grace began. It started right there where we were hungry, we were thirsty, and with nothing left to give. But the shape that we were in, just when all hope seemed lost, love opened the door for us. What a tremendous song that is. And, and as I think about that song, one of the things that I'm really reminded of is that there are stories that all of us have carried throughout our lives. There are stories that we have, have heard about ourselves. There are stories that have been told to us about from our, whether it be our parents, whether it be our friends, whether it be stories that have been told to us by our teachers. Some of those stories are God's stories, but many of those stories are stories that are not who we are. Or maybe they are stories who were at one time, who was at one time who you were, but not who you are today or who God has called you to be. And so as a result of that, what we do is that we carry your story around with us and, and every now and then, that story comes back up in our hearts, and we begin to hear that story again. It's a story from our past. And these stories, what they do is that they put labels on us. And they may be stories of struggle. They might be stories of hurt. There may be stories of pain. There might be stories of betrayal. But these stories uh, somehow comes back up in our lives. And and it's amazing that there are labels that are put on us, whether you're a miser or whether you're tight or whether you're irresponsible or undepend, uh, not un, uh, undependable, unreliable. These labels are put on us. Uh, and many times that there are things that occur throughout our week or throughout our day or throughout our month or our year that these labels then now come back up, but they are not God has called us to be. And so this morning, what I want to do is I want to talk to you about coming to the table. And it is something that I believe when we talk about these labels and stories that all of us have in common in some way. Um, we have these in common, and no matter what your background is, no matter what your the level of degree might be, no matter what your socioeconomic level is, no matter what your ethnicity is, that we all experience labels or stories that people have tried to place on us in our past. But this morning, what I want you to do is I want you to understand that um, God's grace is always greater than your past. And uh, as we look at the word of God today, I want you to see that it's true about you to, what was true about you today doesn't have to be what's true about you tomorrow. And I believe that with all of my heart that the power of God is going to speak to us today and the power of God will speak to us in a way and God is going to take what is and he's going to make it no longer true. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. If you return there in your Bibles, open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and we begin to look in verse 17, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, it says it like this. Champions, would you read that with me? Like you know, it is the word of his power. Now, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become 
new. So it says that if anyone is in Christ, anyone who comes to Christ, anyone who comes to his table, <laughs> old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. This morning, what I want to do is I want to give you three things to consider here. And what I'm going to be doing is switching between the Old and the New Testament because the New Testament, it literally says it very clearly to, with, uh, to us about our relationship with Christ. But in the Old Testament, the Bible says that it's a type and a shadow. What it does is it gives us a fuller story of what the New Testament is, is giving us revelation of. It gives us revelation of it, but the Old Testament reading helps us to understand what we have a revelation of. And so notice this. It says that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, creation or new, a new person. All things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And so the first thing that I want you to do, because I believe that this morning, uh, as we kind of talk about these things, that uh, it'll cause you to drop the labels and it'll cause you to be able to move from the yokes of the past and begin to move into the beauty of God's future for your life. Number one, the first thing I want uh, you to uh, take hold of is that God, when you come to the table, God will give you a new name. God will give you a new name. You know, names in the Bible really meant a whole lot, and, and, and the names were significant. And, and you know what? We, when we uh, uh, named our children, we uh, also uh, began to consider names and, and what those names meant as well. Um, but... Uh, these names are so critical, and, but, but the beauty about it is that God will give you a new name when you come to the table. How, well, how do we know that? In the book of Isaiah, chapter 62, verse 2, it says it in a beautiful way. In Isaiah 62, 2, it says it like this. It says that all the kings will come in your glory. But notice this. It says, and you shall be called by what? You shall be called by what? Come on, somebody, that you shall be called by a new name. And notice what will happen here, that it is the name will be given to you by the mouth of the Lord. So, so, so notice this, that other people may give you a label, <laughs> but a God, and other people may call you names. You know, that sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Yeah, words can hurt you because you carry those around as echoes. And so notice this, but the Bible says that the word and the mouth of the Lord shall give you a new name. And I don't know about you, but when you get a new name, when you get a new identity, that you no longer have to be associated with your old identity. Because why? Is that you have, man, I tell you that if you came from a family that couldn't afford to pay the light bill, my God, but then you got adopted into a family with full rights that gave you, uh, that, that, that had the ability, it, it automatically came out of the bank account. They didn't have to worry if the money was there or not. So, so, so notice this. It says that you will be called by a new name, which the mouth of the Lord will name. And so what we see is that we can look throughout the Bible, but we can even start with our, the father of faith, Abram. Uh, Abram and Sarah, Sarah, that God gave them a new name and he called you know, see why he called him Abraham and called her Sarah why is because there was a purpose and a promise that he had given over their lives and the name that they had just didn't fit the purpose that he had for them and so he gave them a new name and what he changed Abram 
to Abraham, which means father of many nations, Sarah, uh, to Sarah, which means mother. Oh, my God. And so God gave them a new name. Why? So that their new identity could match their purpose. Now, when we look at that, then we recognize that not only will God give you a new name, but our God will give you a new purpose. He'll give you a new purpose. And uh, what we recognize this is that uh, Simon, son of, of Jonah, uh, I love his Simon, son of Bar-Jonah, but Simon was the son of Jonah. And Simon was, could, be known, could have been known as undependable, unreliable. He could have been known as a wishy-washy kind of guy. But when Jesus met Simon, Jesus said to him, follow me or come to the table. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Simon follows him and as he follows him, he gets a revelation of who he is because remember Jesus came to him and he said that, who do people say that I am? And, and they all said that he was, some say you're this, some say you're Elijah. He says, but who do you say I am? He says that you are the son of God. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. And you know what Jesus said to him? Flesh and blood, you didn't hear that from somebody else. But you had your heart open and you got a revelation from the Father. For you, you have received this from my Father in heaven. Therefore, you shall no longer be called Simon. Your name shall be called Peter. So notice that rock or pebble. Or, well, look at this. How many of you know that he could have been wishy-washy, unreliable, undeniable, but now his name has been changed and he's going to be a sturdy rock. And when God changed his name, not only did he change his name, what did he do? He gave him a new purpose. This undeniable, unre uh, deni uh, unreliable, wishy-washy kind of guy Guess who was the first one to minister on the day of Pentecost? God chose him. And when he chose him, there were so many people, thousands of people got saved. Why? It's because he had a new identity, his new identity, then he had a new purpose. How about another guy by the name of Saul of Tarsus? He had a zeal for God. See, that's the beauty about gang members getting saved. Because Saul was a gang member. He was a gang leader. And the Bible says he had a zeal for God, but it was not according to true knowledge. And so he had a zeal, and, and he'd rather um, kill you if you, were, if you were a Christian rather than look at you. But notice what happened. He, got, he came into the presence of God. He got a revelation. God changed his name from Saul to Paul. And the beauty about that is the same zeal he had when he did not have knowledge was the same zeal he had when he had knowledge. And that's the beauty about having a bigger table. Man, when gang leaders get saved, the same zeal they had for what they believe is the same zeal they have with a new revelation and a new identity. Can you see the significance of a bigger table? So no, the first thing that we said is that you, God will give you a new name. Then the second thing that we said is our God will give you a new purpose. And the third thing that I want to share with you today is that our God will give you a new future. He'll give you a new future because so many people are pessimistic about their future. <clears throat> they can't see, based on where they are, how it's going to move them into their future. They can't see their life being different than perhaps it is at the moment. And so uh, there is a circumstances that we get caught into. 
And you know what a a circumstances is? It's just a circle that you stand in. And sometimes to change your circumstances, you've got to move out of that circle. And, and, but God will give you a new future. He'll give you a new future. Because you may be wandering in life. You may not be sure what it is that you need to do. But when you come to the table, at the table, you can have a new future. Um, let me give you uh, an example of that. Because some people say, say it like this. You know what? I'm always going to be alone. You know, I don't think I'll ever find somebody that I could spend the rest of my life with. And then, and then there's some people says, I'll always be in debt. I'll never get out of debt. We come back to the table. And as we come back to the table, one of the things that's, that's so critical, people believe that their life will never change again. And because that, they believe that their life will never change again, it's because they have no hope. And if they have no hope, then there's no future. But notice what happens. Jeremiah 29, 11 says it like this, for I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper you and not harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. So I don't know about you, but you know what? We always have plans, but many of the plans of the man, but it is the plans of the Lord that prevails. And how many of you would prefer God's plan to prevail rather than your own? Why? Because he have plans to prosper you. His plans are to give you hope and a future. And do you know what? When you've got hope, you walk a little bit differently. When you, can, when you see that tomorrow is better than the day, no matter how good your today is, you can go into the morrow with a glide in your stride, stride and a pep in your step. So what we recognize is that these three things, according to 2 Corinthians, it says that, for um, I, uh, it says that for if any man, any man or any woman who is in Christ, anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Let's take a look at this and let's look and do a deeper dive into what this might look like. Because uh, one of the things about my own life is this: is that I always have hope for the future, no matter what my situation a circumstance might be and particularly I, I'll give you I'll give you a perfect example um, when, when I was uh, uh, with uh, Smith Graham and uh, I was uh, responsible for running a couple of billion dollar portfolio and and you know I know what it's like when you say okay I'll buy a quarter of a billion 250 million of this and then right immediately the market goes down and I go wow but there's a discipline that's necessary because what happens is that if you do not have buy and sell disciplines, it's like being a disciple. If you do not have disciplines, then what happens is that you'll get emotional and you'll make emotional decisions based on how you feel rather than a discipline that has been established. Because how many of you know that when the market's going up, it always feels real good and you always feel like that you just didn't put enough in? When it's going down, you feel so, and then you start calling your broker, you start calling Fidel, you, all of your, and you're like, well, and what do you want to do? You want to get out. But then it, 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 that's not the time to get out. And when it's going up and it feels all good, most times it's not the time to get in. So what happens? There has to be a discipline. The Bible calls that a, a disciple or a follower of a disciplined prototype. And so one of the amazing things about that is that I always believe 
that no matter what I'm experiencing, if my heart is right with God, if my heart is open, that God will reveal to me what needs to be done to adjust my steps so that I can walk into the pathway that he desires, make the decisions that he desires to make. And so I, you have to fight against what? Pride. You have to fight against ego. You have to fight against many things that naturally comes into this world. But I always feel that Romans 8.28, one of my great verses that I love, and it says it like this. Come on, would you read that with me together, champions? Let's read it together now. And we know. Now, would you say, I know? Let's personalize this thing because just because somebody else knows it, you're going to need to know it. Because by you knowing it, then you can, it can be personal to you. Come on, uh, would you? Let's read that together now. And we, I know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His. A called according to what? A called according to what? And so you know that all things are going to work together for the good, for your good. See, there are some times that God is working a lot of different things that you can't see. And he's working them out and he's working them out. And he's working them out. But, 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 but you got to know that I got to stand and, and recognize that God is God. And he's working it out on my, my behalf. Like there's an old song that we used to sing growing up. He's working it out, working it, working it. You know, they used to repeat the same words over and over and over again. And, 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 and he's working it out. And he's working it out. And he's working it out. Why? It's because there, the Bible talks about three levels, a third, a third heaven rather. First and second heaven and the third heaven. That third heaven, it gives the analogy. Kind of like the, it's kind of like the, uh, the tabernacle where, where the tabernacle had three rooms. God's house had three rooms. And so it's like where we are. Then there's that second heaven between uh, the third heaven is where God is. And so notice what happens. The Bible tells us that the moment we pray that God hears us, he's sending answers to us. But, but, but they get caught up in the second heaven. That's where the devil is fighting. That's where the devil is trying to convince you that all the hard work that you've done, all the faithfulness, all the things that you've honored in your relationship with others, in your relationship with him, that he's trying to convince you that God has forgotten about you. But you got to say that I, I know that all things are working together for the good. Why? It happened to Daniel. Where, 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 and, the, and what the uh, angel saw when he got there was Daniel still in the same position he was from the moment that he asked. And so you see yourself and go, you know what? God's working it out. He's working all things out. Why? We call it synchronization, where there are some things that are being lined up and working together at the same time to produce something. And do you know that God can promote you beyond your education? Isn't that good to know? God can promote you beyond the education of the person that you're reporting to. So notice this. Doesn't matter what, what people have called you. Doesn't matter your, the labels. Doesn't matter uh, your past. God can work things out. Those are the benefits of coming to the table. He's going to work things out for your good. So let me just say this. If you're not good, God's not done. Let me say that again. If you're not good, God is not done. Let me say it one more time, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. If you're not good, 
then God is not done. Come on, would you repeat this after me? If I am not good, God is not done. What is he doing? He's working it out. He's working it out. He's working it out. So somebody may say, you're an average student. No, no, no. You're, you're, you, you are not average. You're excellent. You're brilliant. You know, when you kind of say, you know what, I, that is who I am. All of a sudden, 3.0, 2.0 becomes 3, 4.0. What, what, second, second Samuel chapter 9, what we're going to do is we're going to see the story of how God says that I, have, I know the plans that I have for you, plans to prosper you and not harm you and give you hope for your future. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at two uh, individuals, a man by the name of David, King David, King David, and a, and a boy by the name of Mephibosheth. And it's David and Mephibosheth, their, their paths cross. And what this story does is it focuses on these two individuals. And um, it's a story really about an invitation that's been extended. It's a story about grace that has been received. It's a story about hope that has been given. And so Saul, who is king, has been killed, and his, and, his, and his son, Jonathan, has also been killed. And so Mephibosheth is actually the next one in line to be king. But David has already been anointed to be king, even before Saul was killed. And so now, during that particular time, uh, something would happen, because usually when there was a new king that came, that was uh, anointed or placed on the throne then the king would kill all the other offsprings or the family of the previous king so that their throne would not be threatened. So, so, so what would happen, we see this in the world right now. We see this in, in North Korea is a perfect example of that. Uh, we see this in communist countries where um, individuals uh, that become powerful, they start killing other people off so that they're not, their throne or their authority of power is not threatened. So, uh, so what happens is that Mephibosheth is five years old and his nurse knows how it goes. His nurse picks him up and she's running away. And as she runs away, she drops him. Bones are broken in his legs. But they're thinking about survival. They don't have time for a doctor. She picks him up and, they, and she keeps running for survival. Why? It's because she's looking to get to safety because she knows what happens when a new king has been anointed. And so, uh, so, so Mephibosheth grows up and he's lame. He cannot walk. Notice this. 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse 1. It says, now David said, David's king, is there anyone who is left of the house of Saul, that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake. You see, what's happened is that David and Jonathan, they've made a covenant with one another. And David and Jonathan has decided, whoever, first of us, that, 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 that dies, we're going to take care of the family of the one who's, who's, the, the one who's living will take care of the, the, one, the family who has died. And so David is saying that if I outlive you, I'm going to take care of your family. And Jonathan is saying, David, if I outlive you, I'm going to take care of your family. So they have entered into a covenant, into a covenant. Verse 2, and there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. So when they had called him to David, the king said to him, are you Ziba? And he said, at your service. 
Then the king said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul to whom I may show the kindness of God? And Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan who is lame in his feet. So the king said to him, Where is he? And Ziba said to the king, Indeed, he is in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, in Lodabar. Then King David sent out and brought him out of the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, from Lodabar. Now notice this. Mephibosheth was five years old, and being aware of the custom of killing the predecessor family, as his nurse took him away and dropped him, that was 15 years ago. He's now 20 years old. And as he's grown up in 20 years, David sends for him. And I believe that it's important for us to understand the condition that he is living in. Because remember I said that God will change your name. That God will give you a new identity. And those names meant what were significant. They meant a lot. Now, notice this. The name Mephibosheth meant one who scatters shame. Oh, my God. He's born in a royal family, but yet he's named, has a label on him as someone who's going to scatter shame no matter where he goes. He is in a place called Lodabar. That's where he's living. And the word Dabar means pasture. It means word. It means thing. But the low before the bar is a negator, and it means no pasture. It means no word. It means no thing. And so here is a young boy who has been labeled from birth as one who scatters shame, and he's living in a place that is too poor to produce no pasture, no word, no communication, nothing. In other words, today, we would say he's living out in the middle of nowhere. And so David, who is the king, he sends for him. And when he sends for him, how many of you know that if the king calls you by name, that's a big deal? <laughs> the king knows my name. He's called me. But it means something different from former Phibosheth. Why? It's because he's been living his entire life wondering if I'm going to be the one that's going to be killed. Is he going to find me? Is he going to know where I am? Why? It's because his uncle has already been killed in Ishabeth. He's already been killed. He's already died. And so Mephibosheth is there and he's like, man, I wonder, is there going to come a time where I'm going to get a knock on the door and they've discovered who I am? And his greatest fear comes to reality. The king sends someone for him. They knock on the door, and they say, where's Mephibosheth? They get him, and they bring him to the palace. And when he comes into the palace, he falls on his face in a place of submission to David, who is the king. He falls down in, in, in humility to the one who is in authority. And notice what happens in verse 7. Let's read it together. Now, so David said to him, do not fear, 
For I will surely show you kindness for Jonathan, your father's sake, and will restore to you all the land of Saul, your grandfather, and you shall eat bread at my table. When? How often? Mm, my God. So, so, so notice this. Mephibosheth comes in. He falls down. He doesn't know what's going to happen to him. And, and, and David says to him, what I'm going to do for you is not based on you. <laughs> but what I'm going to do for you is based on the, father, the covenant that I have with your father. And, and, and it's not something that you have done to deserve it. But there is a kindness that I'm going to show to you. There is a grace that I am going to show to you. And David is saying to him, look, what I'm going to do for you is I'm going to restore to you your inheritance and I am going to give you the life that you always were promised to live from birth, but you just didn't know it. Look in verse 8. Mephibosheth, he, he bowed himself and said, what is your servant that you should look upon such a dead dog as I? Remember we talked on last week about radical hospitality. What it does is it causes the person to feel valued. Causes the fear that they have of not being accepted to leave. And David is showing him some radical hospitality. And he says these words. He says, man, how can, what kind of servant are you? You're not like any other king. And what you've done is you've looked on a dead dog like me. In other words, he's saying, I have no value. I'm worthless. I have a name that scatters shame. And not only does my name scatter shame, but I live in a place where it can't even produce. No pasture, no word, nothing. How would you look upon me, this dead dog? You know what happened? Is he went into that place and what he went in, he went in expecting the judgment of the king. But what he found is he's found an unconditional love and acceptance. He went in expecting the wrath of the king, but what he found was grace. Look at verse 13. It says it like this. Let's read it together now. So Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem, for he ate continually at the king's table, and he was lame in both. Oh, my God. He was still lame. But when he sat at the king's table... No one knew his condition. He was still lame, but when he sat at the king's table, he looked like all the other king's sons. He had a new identity when he was at the table of the king. He was still lame, but he had all the benefits that the son of a king had. Although he was lame and could not walk, he was a king's son and had been given a new identity, a new purpose, and a hope that he would have in his future. Do you know what? That's what God does for us. That, that, that when we are willing to come to his table, that God says that doesn't matter what your teacher said. doesn't matter what your friends have said about you. doesn't matter when the people said you couldn't do this or you couldn't do that. doesn't matter what they said you amount to nothing. It doesn't matter at the times that they said that, that you're not smart enough. You, it doesn't matter. The only thing that matter is that, that you receive the name, the purpose, and the identity that came from my mouth. And when he sits at the king's table, he looks just like his future. 